everyone this is shriya your host and you're listening to what's the word a podcast on all things language and media by idoni as you already know that in this season of the podcast we are focusing on different regions of the world and exploring how language and usage of certain words certain terminologies in media reportage by journalists have a much deeper impact on the narrative formation this one particularly is going to be a long episode i feel because today we are talking about a region that is very close home to me and also this conversation too is extremely personal if you're still guessing what we're going to talk about it is south asia today i mean you know it's very hard to decide when i was trying to conceptualize this episode what to keep what to talk about what not to talk about because there is just too much to talk about and there's always something or the other happening all the time here there's just too much happening uh, all the time uh, in this region so joining us for today's episode we have two very wonderful guests who have worked a lot and they've been very kind to oblige so thank you very much both of you for that uh introducing our guests first of all our first guest is hamza hamza is a journalist and is currently a phd candidate at the university of vienna uh he's researching the interchange between culture politics and journalistic identities he's also the co-founder of nine news which is pakistan's first news aggregating service hamza is also an active member of the vienna hub of the global shapers community an initiative of the world economic forum which connects young leaders passionate about driving social impact Our second guest is Fatima Razak. Fatima is an investigative journalist who works at Lok Sajak, an alternative digital media platform that works for highlighting issues that are often ignored by mainstream media in Pakistan. She covers human rights with a special focus on religious minorities and gender issues. She's done a lot of investigative work on forced religious conversions of Christians and Hindu girls, acid attacks in Pakistan, and has reported extensively on gender-based violence. She's also a recipient of the pluralism and diversity in media awards and she herself also hosts a podcast that is called hum gunegar aurte whose link you can find in the description so i would just i would really suggest that you guys check it out thank you so much once again uh, hamza and fatima for coming and taking out the time today to join me in the podcast thank you for having us i think like it's a it's a really interesting topic so really looking forward to our discussion and what we are able to unpack today same here really happy to join and uh, amazing content that you have uh, just looking at the outline it's it's going to be an amazing podcast so i'm really looking forward to it thank you thank you so we'll just delve like right into it so i wanted to start off actually like when i was talk- when i was conceptualizing this episode uh, one of the things that basically went into the very uh, you know concept of this episode was i was talking to a friend uh, who's doing her phd in sociology and she told me uh, she corrected me actually uh, we were talking about uh, south asian politics and i kept saying uh, you know uh, indian subcontinent indian subcontinent and she was like uh, you know that that is wrong that terminology that you're using is wrong and i was like um, but uh, why like you know this is something that i've learned all throughout while i was growing up while i was in school college in our textbooks that is the word that we've been taught she's like no uh, the right term is south asia and yes this is the term that is sort of you know said and propagated across our textbooks and our education system but it's wrong because you know it sort of puts india in the center and the other south asian nations around and that actually hit me because like at the age of 27 i'm learning that that is a wrong terminology and it never really struck me as that like you know we're talking about language we're talking about media coverage but this was something that really triggered this whole discussion on how language politics sort of has a power hierarchy especially when we are talking about different regions of the world so um you know i want to understand from the two of you like this is my experience being uh, someone from india uh, a journalist who has been working in india but for both of you like hamza fatima how has your experience been when it comes to language both in the south asian uh, context but also in a indo pak relationship coverage perspective as well just going to say that yeah it's it's really interesting because i have never thought about this in much detail as well before and it's it's really interesting take on it because obviously uh, it, the word india comes from uh, the the indus uh, indus river and how uh, that was the you know pakistan could have been called india as well and there was at the time of founding there was kind of discussions about 
who's going to have this name who's going to have indus river more you know prominent discussion is back again i think yeah yeah because of because of the word because of the use of bharat i think in the recent uh, recent g20 meeting i think it's it's back in discussion again so it, it it's it's really really interesting and i feel the, because because uh, culturally we're so so similar in many ways that um, there there are many ways that we we do not think about these things deeply so even in our in our textbooks in pakistan we were taught about uh, indian subcontinent but we were not taught about that you know we could say it's south asia we could call it indian subcontinent but there was not really any difference between how it's taken and um, even even in some cases you don't really call it in pakistan we would not call it indian subcontinent but just the subcontinent because it is actually uh, kind of separate from the rest of asia and the way its uh, culture is the way the people are so i feel it's uh, it's really interesting to think of it that way and yeah in in, in many power structures and how the power imbalance has now become because india has become a really really big economy that uh, pakistan bangladesh sri lanka and all these surrounding countries nepal they become kind of sidelined so i i feel that it needs to change there needs to be a more of a conversation uh, and it's it's great that we're doing it right now i think like absolutely there is also like just like you mentioned growing up our textbooks have had a huge impact right so one thing that um and to be honest like they're they're filled with problematic ideas specifically like especially our history textbooks like in pakistan we have the subject pakistan studies now i've worked on this as well so like you know i've gone through a lot of textbooks and the kind of undertones that are used that are discriminatory towards different people or different groups of people so for example always studying about the partition and what happened so in pakistan's history textbooks they have to justify that the partition was a great idea and how um india like the current india or hindus at that time so like they don't they don't they identify a religious um you know identity as being cruel towards a muslim identity and the words that are used are at times really problematic But like now there's this conversation after years and years and it's been like more than 70 years of Pakistan but like now uh, every year ministry of religious affairs sends you know a list of words that are hate speech things like um makar hinduon ne you know they, they they plotted to um you know the cunning hindus plotted to um Or, or added something in the act and that was really detrimental to the muslims so sure like a lot of things but the use of problematic terms and how children who are reading them and studying them they grow up with this idea that hindus at large are cunning because well they read it in their history textbooks that this xy person at that time passed a policy or did something that was really wrong so now there's a generalization in their minds um and again this is being undone now especially after our single national curriculum like last couple of couple of years ago this conversation became like it was brought out and because like there was more work done on you know hate speech and religious minorities and their representation so a lot had to go back to pakistan india and the understanding of students about india so like you know the general um i would say hatred between the two countries or a jingoist uh, or a nationalist sentiment that we inculcate in our children it starts from right then from the textbooks where we're using certain words that give an idea either like generalize them or add adjectives that are really problematic um and i think like it happens in a lot of other ways as well like for example it's also gendered like have you heard like father of the nation qaidazam is the father of the nation india also has a father of the nation then we also have so again who's the who's the brother of the nation who's the mother of the nation who's the uncle of the nation we have no idea but a lot of a lot of our um national terminology is so gendered and it's so biased as well according to the ideas that we want to 
पोर्ट्रे लाइक इवन इन आर क्रिकेट मैचेज राइट दर इज अ वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग अंडर टोन बट लाइक इनफैक्ट बिफोर दैट आई रिमेंबर दर वॉज आफ्टर लाइक अ कपल ऑफ ईयर्स अगो वी वर इन यूनिवर्सिटी वेन पुलवामा अटैक्स so there there was this threat that india is going to conduct air strikes on pakistan and i live in lahore and lahore is right on the border with india so we had a university event that was scheduled after a really long time and then we were told that we'll have to delay because the university is going to be closed for some days and as student as a student society we were really pissed that oh no if this weekend is not a is not the debates competition we won't be able to get the time and we were begging kidney please no please don't do that you know etc etc but so like we we were trying to like look up news that would just like you know mitigate their fear that nothing's going to happen a conflict is not going to emerge and it's totally safe and you know something of that sort so all the news that i came up there were words like um india plans to annihilate pakistan just like wow that's a strong word no this is like you know just say something else but usually the media coverage is so charged that even if there is nothing that's going to happen or i think like usually it's so problematic the exaggeration is so much that even little events are you know blown out of proportion in our bilateral relations i remember similarly indian media making a fuss out of a pigeon and how calling that a spy that oh i mean i i don't know i haven't fact checked this but i think the amount of exaggeration involved in finding or blaming each other's countries and one can understand that yes a lot of it has to do with the bilateral relations the politics and everything but words are powerful and the kinds of words that are used have like a huge impact like you know if it can close down universities if it can you know make the threat threat perception go, go so much that people are scared that a conflict is going to erupt i think like we should be double checking what we are publishing and how so that's what i'm thinking it's it actually reminded me when you talked about pulwama because i was in the newsroom at that point and i remember so we had the tvs and they were all constantly running and the kind of i i mean after point more than the words the imagery like they made a battlefield uh, like a studio into a battlefield where the anchor is dressed up as a soldier and is standing there and giving these long lectures and i'm like are they actually out of their mind because like and uh, this is like the same discussion that and they were literally talking about it as if acha kal hi jaake ekdam nuclear war will happen sorry start speaking in hindi <laughs> uh like the nuclear war is going to happen um like you know tomorrow and i'm like are they really out of their mind or are they like are they okay and uh, i think this is like as journalists or as people who are still engaging with you know uh, you know intellectual content on a daily basis we have the we sort of possess that uh, uh what do you call it that that thing where we can segregate okay this is uh this is like a hyperboling or this is like too much and this is the fact but the the regular public the regular people who are consuming that news are not on most cases are not able to distinguish so i think that the whole uh, uh the whole fact that whatever you're saying whatever you're reporting especially television uh, in television because that's the one that people have the most access to it is what people are believing it's what like a, like you majority of your population is believing and especially when like after years of socialization like you know you already have ideas about how india is hostile and i think like similarly how pakistan is hostile so like both the countries growing up or you know in our textbooks in our there's already like a lot of um they've they've bombarded with information from everywhere that a certain country is super bad and we don't know what their people look like and i don't know there are some sort of aliens or something which is 
which is such an irony because I don't think there are two nations that could be similar, more similar because, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel also in, in terms of textbooks as well, more, more so than that, uh, when, when you are having conversations with your family or you're having conversation with your friends, and a lot, a lot of times you hear sometimes of, you know, just com- comparison between the two and kind of words which are not, uh, which are always like a rivalry. So always just comparing in a way that just like a mother compares her two sons and also in a subcontinent, a very, very subcontinent way. <laughs> so it's just like two really, you know, competitive brothers, uh, just always having this uh, thought of overtaking the other one. May that be cricket, may that be education, may that be India going to space, you know, having those conversations where you're just not happy when the other one is succeeding, but rather uh, always just uh, trying to put the other one down. So that's, yeah, language plays a huge role because that there is so, so the certain words that we use, uh, which 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 are in Hindi or which are in Urdu, just is, is putting each other down. Yeah, and I think this is like going to take a lot of, uh, what do you call it? It's going to gain a lot of momentum in the coming months especially it's gaining momentum thanks to the World Cup that is going to be there because I was just looking at Asia Cup reportage of India-Pakistan matches matches, and I was like, please somebody kill me because I can't listen to this at all. And it's just like, it's literally, you are representing, you're talking about the game, but the amount of foolery that they do in terms of language, in terms of the way, way they present it. And I'm just like, after a point, and this is not how it used to be because I remember growing up in India-Pakistan matches, you used to have a panel of, uh, you know, uh, players from India and players from Pakistan sitting and discussing. And now it's just like, let's let's just like, you know, go all out against them because we cannot appreciate what the, uh, like their players are good or are like, you know, our players can learn something from them. It's not an, I, I like being an avid cricket follower and I, I love uh, some of the Pakistani players a lot and I constantly like more than the Indian players I think I'm, I'm willing to watch Shainsha Afridi bowl and like you know I would want to watch it live and when I tweet, tweet about it there's like a ha like a barrage of people who'd be like oh you you should like you know like it's just so cruel and uh, being a journalist when you're doing that it becomes like a more this thing because your, your community as a whole does not support you. <laughs> don't you get like comments like why don't you move to Pakistan oh you like Shaheen Shah Afridi why don't you move to Pakistan yeah 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 I think like even in cricket it's so weird like it's just like cricket cricket is treated like a war unfortunately and especially on mainstream media on on TV channels every time Pakistan wins a match it, the words the kind of words that are used are I mean I, I'll try to translate them but like Again, words like um, Pakistan conquered India or Pakistan defeated India, uh, not just in a match, but like, you know, very something more problematic, actually. Like, you know, they, they make it sound like war, which is very weird. But on, on, on one of my like social media profiles, a friend of mine once shared this thing and that really, um, I was horrified. He used the word, again, trigger warning, um, India raped Pakistan. So like the words like, or especially when it comes to, you know, very uh, matches like Manchester United, even in football, you know, where there are like, there's a massive rivalry and it's a, it's a, whatever sort of match it is and wherever you have to communicate, just like outdoing someone, these words are used in, like I, I just like go out of my mind that you know do you realize how problematic this is to use and mostly because there's a lot of apparently sentiment involved and they want to really communicate that we've had a huge win so how do you do that like you use like these problematic words that you know you conquered someone and how that's a that's a big thing so like conquering that's like regularly used in our newspapers in our tv channels that oh we conquered india pakistan took over india and highlighted india and we're just like okay really how why why that's the question then why why would you do that 
I feel like sometimes, you know, this is kind of like a larger ideological confrontation between the two countries where you cannot, you know, just accept that the other one is uh, is doing, you know, has has its own way of thinking or has own way of uh, doing their foreign policy or doing their own uh, having their own kind of religious identity. And this this kind of makes a more more problematic way of doing things. For example, you know, also living in Austria, I feel like there's this rivalry between uh, Germany and Austria where Austria being the smaller country uh, is always kind of comparing itself to Germany and saying, oh, we, we are better than them in some ways. We are more beautiful in, in some ways. And I feel like it's it's similar in, in Pakistan and India as well, where Pakistan being the smaller country is always wants to kind of say we ha- kind of differentiate itself in, in many ways. Uh, and cricket is also one of them. So I feel like when you have this kind of ideological confrontation, even when you are uh, somewhat a more a more chill or more slow down or more back down coverage that you give to cricket matches, uh, people would not really accept it. People would not really support you if you were doing it in a more general way. If you're, for example, if you're facing Sri Lanka, you won't hate those terminologies. You won't hate those words. But when it's India, you have to do it. Otherwise, otherwise the public just wouldn't. You, you wouldn't get those views on YouTube. You, you wouldn't get those likes on Twitter if if you don't have that kind of hatred within your words. Absolutely, I I completely agree with you because like that you can see the differentiation uh, within uh, the coverage when it's about other countries. But uh, Hamza, uh, on the staying on the same lines, I also wanted to ask: Do you think like you know we've uh, we've moved a lot like? Uh, there's a the Indian media and Pakistani media existed way before thing uh, way before in the last ten years when things last ten fifteen years when things have gotten really volatile in terms of media coverage we've had media we've had uh, what I feel like there was some sort of respect for the profession uh, that, that existed between journalists from across the border uh, or for journalists across South Asia for that matter but now. Um, I don't know if it's uh, like you're also working on that in your PhD. Uh, you know, do you think like because of how social media has grown or how digital media has grown, there's this sort of uh, the language or that sort of respect that you would give a fellow journalist or a fellow, uh, you know, a member of the media from coming from a different uh, country now doesn't exist because there's that whole thing that we have to sort of one up each other. There's no this thing like the whole idea of cross-border journalism has sort of uh, like died down I would say uh, when it comes to um, you know uh, coverage in South Asia of course in other parts of the world but uh, considering we are all here and it's more very very much more evident uh, given diplomatic relationships do you think uh, that has had a huge effect not having enough cross-border journalism work happening? I definitely think so. I agree, and I, I remember back in back in two three years ago when uh, I was I was living in Pakistan. There was so much conversations. You know, Geo News is one of the most well known uh, um, and most watched uh, news organization in Pakistan, and they would always have these ads about Pakistan and India friendship, and you would have this journalistic, uh, you know, kind of you would have Indian journalists coming on their news and Pakistani journalists going the other way around as well, but. Coming back to my PhD topic and how how I look at it in my in my thesis is that you know journalists across the world have different roles and those roles are you know shaping how they report news how they look at different uh, different ways different stories that they select and certain roles of journalists some journalists are more nationalistic in some ways and some journalists more watchdog in some ways and some journalists are more collaborative in some ways so uh, the the journalists that I interviewed in Pakistan there was a lot of vi- variety. So many journalists who were nationalistic uh, had similar views uh, on India that we were talking about before, which was very, very confrontational, where they did not want to uh, talk about India in a positive way, did not want to use Hindi in many ways, were totally against Bollywood, were totally against any kind of um, wrong, uh, you know, the, the dress that we wore. So they were very nationalistic in their in their thinking. And it, it depends on what the thinking of a journalist is and what their roles are. Uh, and it, I, I've definitely seen it become reduced over the over the last seven to eight years. I feel back then we were still kind of more collaborative. You would see more uh, Indian journalists on the news in Pakistan, but now it's it's really really reduced. And I I barely see uh, Pakistani journalists on Indian news as well. I don't know if it's uh, different. If you see it differently, uh, Fatima. Um, no, I think I absolutely agree. 
and in fact i would add to that like not just there is less collaboration now there is also i think i suspicion now as well for example like when it comes to um social media you know every um a lot of social media trolling that i see like you know if you're talking about an issue in india uh, people calling you an indian agent or even if you're just like you know taking a political side that they think aligns with india's diplomatic policy you know the the terms like indian agent foreign agent are thrown around so casually and especially much more for journalists you know oh you're foreign funded uh india is funding you even on like completely um uh, irrelevant issues as well so like the the threats and the kind of digital violence that is prevalent at least in pakistan cyberspace it's horrific um for example i i, I clearly remember um because i work on human rights right so a lot of issues like forced conversions or about religious minorities uh when i talk about them and i write about them so people start saying oh you're defaming pakistan or not putting forward a positive image of pakistan and then that automatically links to uh you being a foreign funded or an indian agent and god forbid if an indian person comments on my profile gone so like you know i i remember many which is unfortunate like you know just someone commenting or saying that oh the situation looks really bad doesn't so you know people would quote tweet that and say look you know you've given content to india now are you happy um now that you know the world knows that there are these problems in pakistan and human rights violations are going on so you know you're you're serving someone else's interests which is i think that makes collaboration even more difficult i interviewed like as part of hum gunegar aurte i interviewed asma shirazi in in one of her highlights of her career where because you know she was traveling to india and she interviewed some uh, indian politicians or something but the foreign or the indian agent tag that she has is because of some of her work that she did in india interviewing them so it's really weird now that not just is there less collaboration there's also a very hostile digital space where um i don't know trends are run there can be anything so journalists now um are much more skeptical of you know their collaboration with india or let's say like putting up a picture or anything that anyone could find that would possibly label them as an agent i mean they shouldn't be because it should be normalized but it's very it's very sad because um there there's an added pressure now on people to perform in a certain way just to not uh come off as um as biased or as funded by someone or serving someone else's interests so that's something that i have experienced i completely agree with you and i feel like there's a lack of uh, sort of credibility or free flowing information that used to happen earlier i think there was a lot of uh, exchange of knowledge in terms of uh, collaboration within uh, the liberal arts field within the social sciences field or within the journalistic field for that matter that used to exist uh, but now uh, those channels have sort of uh, unfortunately been uh, forced shut uh, like this also like i during covid i was working on an indo pak story and the the kind of um, because i was making like you know talking to people in pakistan and i was uh, like in constant touch i would get these random calls from random numbers uh, and who are asking me what are you doing and everything which is just like as a journalist this is not something that uh, you know like i know a lot of my peers would not want to do a cross border story out of fear that what it might uh, sort of give like you know what kind of uh, threat that it might uh, sort of bring to them considering that even when you're doing a normal story in india which is uh, which where you're criticizing the government you can just go to jail so uh, and an indo pak story then becomes like a you know like a free pass onto yeah yeah so 
I and I think that's where I think uh, we've seen uh, in India. I can say that a huge dip in cross-border journalism. I, for example, see very less cross-border journalism work happening. Uh, like you know, talking about that. Uh, there's also like this is something uh, when we're talking about language and exchange of knowledge. One of the main uh, sort of black uh, bearers, you could say, there was like the role of foreign correspondents. Again, for most. of the west if they had as for a bbc or a larger western media their foreign correspondents are people from there who come here and work in the bureau and probably have no knowledge of the south asian culture or the politics uh, so the way they talk about conflict or they the way they report uh, on conflict happening within the uh, within our countries for example i think uh, at some point fatima and me were uh, discussing uh, something about the manipur violence and a bbc report and how it wrote uh, about the violence uh, like it was as if like you know we are these you know very educated people who are coming from the first world and your third world people are still fighting over stuff so uh, do you think especially when we're talking about language this whole idea that we're still trying to get away from that western gaze sort of trying to describe us and how important then does the role of a local journalist or of local newsrooms uh, become when it comes to sort of rectifying that language that is uh, being used to uh, define an issue or define uh, the a- the area as a whole and this not just in the context of india and pakistan but as a whole south asian politics because that's really complex and most of even we ourselves do not have a whole idea let alone somebody coming from a whole different part of the world no well, i feel it's it's really unfortunate the way that it's happened because uh I, for me personally i would love to travel to india and i would just love to go to different parts i would love to go to south india i would love to go to north india east west everywhere and just travel freely and it's it's become so so difficult i i remember uh, maybe 10 years ago there were still some people going there still you you knew somebody who had been there just for religious reasons or just for professional reasons you could see maybe uh, big singers going there more frequently like atif aslam would go there maybe every 2 3 months for some kind of concert you would have uh, pakistani uh, film stars going to indian india as well and you would also have you know rarely but you would still have some uh, in the pakistani media as well but that's completely uh, non existent right now and it's it's really sad in many ways and culturally we are also so similar you know there's sindh on pakistan side and india side as well there are punjabis on both side as well so it's it's there's so many also family relationships which have been uh, separated due to this and uh, it's in many ways uh, bad for both of the countries because both both of them could benefit so much from each other and there there are many things many many things which could be which could be beneficial in terms of how trade is done how language is done how entertainment is done that if shared if collaborated on could be so much more better but uh, it it isn't done in that way and it's uh sadly it it has become more and more difficult to do it like you said if you actually do any collaboration then there is this kind of this mob that goes against you and blames you for being on the other side and not looking at there's 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 no black and white right there's always a middle way and there's always a way of looking at things which benefits both side and it doesn't mean that one side is good one side is bad there is good and bad in every culture in every country and uh, more collaboration is beneficial for both of us if 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 i could add to that like what what you're asking about violence and the coverage of violence and the western gaze it's very interesting actually because like every time the west like if i talk about pakistan you you're right actually the manipur violence the way that has been covered by international media it's always with a very um you know they have to explain that oh you know what what you you know what we were discussing as well that you know they wrote that um it's like a war and explaining and comparing it to other crises so i think like the the news said that there's violence just like there is in syria and nigeria and all of a sudden you know when you read it you're like what do you mean this violence is very different from the violence that's going like a armed conflict multilateral multiple actors involved 
um, sectarian conflict in the Middle East and then comparing it to a, an African conflict that, oh, this violence, this is what it looks like. Again, Pakistan has faced the same. So in international media, there is a certain lens with which they recognize or see Pakistan. Like, for example, New York Times would only cover Pakistan if there's a big blast, if there has been a terrorist activity, if there's been something, you know, something really grave has happened. We don't make it to the news otherwise. And by the way, like my media platform, we use this analogy when we cover local media as well. We say that, you know, our mainstream media covers local issues just the way New York Times or any other international publication would cover Pakistan. Only when there's been a massive crisis to, you know, 20 people have died or there's been a terrorist activity and they're only interested whenever there is something to do with the Taliban or something to do with someone else that they can blame, you know, terrorism because that's the lens that they have. Now, unfortunately, um, that's not the case always. We have a lot of, we have a culture of our own, an entire economy. Even when they cover economy, Pakistan's economy, like I think the Economist recently wrote an article about how Pakistan's economy is getting really bad and the kind of comparisons that they drew were so like they had such like inferior undertones and one would feel that what are you talking about you know they the kind of comparisons were drawn that oh it's just like going down the drain and just how it is in third world countries and you're like no it's a very nuanced complex economic problem it's not just like any other country, the economic crisis. And what happened, so I was working, I work as a feminist activist. So we have a march, Aurat March, that happens every year. It's a, it's a feminist march, women's march, it happens on the International Women's Day every year. And there are multiple dimensions of it now. Some of the dimensions are, you know, women taking up the streets, the power of politics, how a lot of young people and young women have now stepped up, how the conversation has changed from, you know, rights, political rights, economic rights to more bodily rights, personal rights. There's, there can be a lot that can be talked about. But the only thing that last year's March was there, there was a mob. There are always threats, but there was a mob this time where they were chanting slogans and, you know, disrupting the march. So when this reporter talked to me, I said that, yes, it happened. But there are a lot of, like, it's very nuanced. There are a lot of other things as well. For example, this time them, you know, doing a hold whole key on feminist issues, using culture and, again, just like reducing an entire movement to something that you think is appropriate and that you think is sellable to an international audience and that is that well there were religious people and who were angry about the march so you know just making the entire movement about a rift between religious alt-right and progressive politics i thought like that was really reductionist and i think that's something that all of the to the extent that they stopped giving interviews to international media because they thought that the international media was covering the movement from one particular lens that they had already pre-decided, like pre-decided lens and then asking them, oh, do you face um, threats by them? Do the religious people like you? And they're like, well, no, they don't. And yes, we do face threats, but wait, there are, you know, 10 other things as well. And they're like, no, no, we're we are not interested in that. We'll just like take this as a court and only use these pictures, which is very, which is very reductionist, which is very weird, which is very, and this is where I think local media then comes in their job. But, but honestly, like local media, instead of it being the other way around that you fill the gaps, most media houses would follow what a big publication has published because, well, you know, colonial mindset and colonial hangover still exists. So 
if the economist or the new york times or washington post however messed up they are if they publish a report i as a journalist local journalist would be like oh if i add or take a similar line that's going to make me popular or maybe like i become the correspondent next time i don't know so local media i think has to increasingly um different should differentiate and should like again um take like you know give a the bigger picture that's missing from the white lens that's missing from the western lens and add like add the nuances that often go ignored um about in in every and that's that that's in every issue that's there because um otherwise we just like putting people in boxes you know we think of pakistanis a certain way indians a certain way and every other country there's a preconceived notion and this really happens you know she like whenever i travel abroad like someone would look at me and say that oh who where are you from and because i wasn't wearing a burqa or i wasn't wearing a i wasn't covered up in a manner that they thought a pakistani woman should be so that that's so weird when you know we're we're sick of it that whenever we go out and let's say we're wearing jeans and the people who actually come and say why are you wearing this dress he's like what do you mean it's like why are you wearing this dress oh we thought like pakistanis wear burqas you're like no i think the it just sort of enforces the stereotype that already exists and uh, like the west media's coverage is not really doing anything to break that rather enforce it more uh uh like i think staying on similar lines amza i wanted to ask like you've been someone who's like sort of started pakistan's first news aggregator uh platform so uh talking about news aggregation how important and how difficult also was it to keep a check on the language and like as as someone who's sort of worked in that do you think uh, uh how did language of different reports have a uh, like you know differentiated how it differentiated the way the topic was covered uh by different publications uh, like if you could tell us a little bit i mean definitely along similar lines what fatma was saying or what you were saying as well you know this kind of hegemony from the western nations about uh, how we're always seen through certain lenses and there's also this uh, this also this internalization process within within pakistanis as well i don't know about india but within pakistanis as well where english is seen as a more dominant language and uh, urdu or other regional languages are not uh, seen within the same kind of spectrum so i feel when when we were to, when we were doing we we were coming up with the idea of okay what what language do we want to really start focusing on obviously english had to be at the forefront of what we want to do because we wanted to reach uh, audience and we wanted to reach kind of uh, you it's it's really hard to get advertisement without with if you're only focusing on urdu if you're only focusing on punjabi if you don't have a english platform it's really really difficult to get advertisement because these big corporations they the only their their way of looking at things is only in english so and this comes back to colonial partings as well which i also look in my thesis where uh, english has been the dominant language in the subcontinent region because or the south asian region because of because of uh, how the british has impacted our ways of thinking our private schools the military cadets and all of those educational aspirations that people in that region had needed to have at that moment so it's 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 really difficult to focus on all those regional languages which are unique to our our countries so it is i think it's a really class system that has been left behind after the british colonial colonial rules and even even if you want to study in pakistan you have to if you the english has to be a forefront of that we they do not teach us science in urdu they do not teach us uh, geography or history properly in urdu it's uh, it's always english texts and that's why there's also this many many of many populations within pakistan are left behind as well uh, in education because they maybe cannot grasp the language so quickly and so easily if they're not coming from affluent background so this is this hegemony of western western nations and the british colonial rules which makes english come at the forefront of everything and that's why unfortunately we had to do the same with nine news 
we do have urdu we we make a urdu news story for everything but that has to be done manually by our editor who has to translate uh, all the news that we might have or write it originally in urdu so it's it's really really difficult but uh, this this is slowly changing you know uh, back until 2016 i i think so back in 2016 our official language uh, was english and i think not until 2 years ago that we recognized uh, urdu as an official language in government as well back until 2 3 years ago all our government documents were recorded or written in english so it's problematic from the start i i feel it's slowly there's more con- of a conversation where we talk about regional languages balochi uh, punjabi sindhi saraiki and all those languages coming to the forefront you have more regional newspapers come up as well but they are not as popular and it's it's really problematic absolutely i think i completely agree and uh, it's strange i was actually working on a video today like for work about how you know when if you studied in a hindi medium school here in india you'll look down upon just because of the class bias like you mentioned hamza that uh, there is that class bias that comes with knowing english and it it is sort, sort of fueled by the fact that um, the resources are not available in the language you can be a hindi medium student you can give your exam in hindi or urdu uh, in pakistan but the resources are mostly available the reading materials are mostly available in english both in schools or in uh, when it comes to higher studies and just for a lot of terms and a lot of concepts i think the lack of vocabulary in uh, the regional languages sort of have such a huge role to play when it comes to media coverage also i think yeah so like again i was very the, just what you mentioned right for example um it it goes both ways actually for example um in urdu media and this is a discussion that we've had with media platforms here as well um there's no word for urdu word for rape so they use the word uh, because it's an english word but in urdu there is no word for it that exists because they haven't thought about it like that that oh this could also be a possibility so the the word that's used is zyadati zyadati generally means something that's unfair just that so like you know you see how it's very problematic to use this word because it does not capture the the extent of the crime and everywhere in the law because the law is made in english the the word it's an english word so many news channels don't use the word rape they just use that oh there has been a zyadati that was done and now zyadati just means something that's unfair it could be economic it could just be a mere you know something that you didn't talk so many it's now that this conversation that we're starting and many women journalists have reached out to news platforms that at least label the crime as it is you know don't shy away from using the word and so it's 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 very interesting actually our our language in media reporting um especially in urdu media it's very gendered and it's very problematic so the words um i was doing i was doing a little i was doing an investigation so just had to count the number of cases of sexual violence that had happened in each district and this was like imran khan's government's time and they weren't giving that information at that time because there had been a major motorway incident had happened so like the police they weren't giving a breakdown of city city wise breakdown of the number of cases so i went to um, the archives news archives and i thought that i'll you know just like note down the date lines just to get an idea and there's there's human rights commission of pakistan they keep a track they take those clippings and keep them together so like i just like spent number of days writing all the date lines individually but i was coming across the the headlines and i realized they were so problematic instead of they always had this a woman got um uh, got raped like you know it's not that someone did this to her like passive voice active voice like a victim blaming uh, sort of take uh, uh, yes always like always there was so much victim blaming or um a woman ran away with a 
with someone she knew so urdu mein uske aashna ke sath you know someone has disappeared or like you know some um, there was like this weird terms that i kept coming across and there was all the same every news headline about um gender violence or sexual violence was reported in the exact same way you just had to change the name the number of people and the city and it was all the same it was all centered away from the victim so a lot of words that i i think like i can give examples about but might not many people would not even understand so i would not do that but still the reporting is really problematic it blames the victim uh, the the reports are phrased in a way always in active uh, you know in a way that or oh, someone brought this upon themselves um which i find really problematic and then the absence of some words uh, there's no consensus in our media on whether how to use transgender in urdu so khwaja sira use kare mukhannis afrad use kare there are like a lot of variations that every um newsroom is struggling with um how to use the x now that has become but the gender neutral language does not exist it's it's always like um it's always very very gendered and it's always very problematic uh, the kind of reporting that is done and it used to be like only problematic for women now it's even more problematic for trans persons for transgenders and we have seen that as a result of massive misinformation and disinformation propagated by the media as well a transgender protection rights act has been repealed so language does have consequences um like at times i think we forget that we just think that oh it's just words if you have a problem with them you can just like correct them or write better and i just say that no this is in today's world and time it has like massive consequences that we don't even realize absolutely uh, agree um, i think my next question actually was about the whole gendered coverage and the language you know uh, use it because both in hindi and urdu like you said uh, about pakistan in 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 in, uh, in 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 india also in hindi we do not have terminologies for gender based violence like a perfect like an inclusive terminology we do have terminologies but they are not inclusive enough and uh, there's no for words like consent or sexuality stuff like that and like i wanted to ask you and i think you've already answered that question uh, I, i think that's sort of has such a huge part to play in the reportage of the topic because uh, it, the daily people who are consuming the news uh, uh, are thinking uh, it sort of shapes the thinking of the people uh, okay if it's a woman she must have ran away with the guy or she must have done something to have been you know um, molested or raped instead of trying to sort of bringing in the inclusivity in the language uh, you know telling how you know rape doesn't uh, happen it is perpetrated by someone uh, so i think that that sort of like also brings us to the conclusion of our uh, very long one of our longest episodes i would say uh, is that how important then uh this is like to the both of you i wanted to ask how important then having an inclusive approach to language becomes in coverage of uh, like you know the, in the coverage of news and having a solutions journalism approach in the coverage of news especially when it comes to language especially when it comes to inclusivity uh like if you could if you guys want to share yeah i think it's it's, it's extremely important i think the whole the whole conversation that we had today is extremely important for people to realize how important language is and how important inclusive language is is to make sure i feel this has already become a huge conversation in in the western media and the western civilization where you you see how easily people get offended if not if if the right inclusive language is not used while i feel in pakistan india and this kind this part of the world we are like on the opposite spectrum where people still have no kind of understanding of what inclusivity really is and how can we make people feel comfortable taking people's feelings into consideration 
and being soft hearted in a way that you do not hurt somebody's uh, you know how they feel about themselves and how they feel about their their look outlook at the world so and obviously journalism and solution based approach constructivist journalism plays a huge role in that and that's why i think ideon is doing an amazing job in that and uh, that's we need more more platforms that give um, a solution based approach more inclusive coverage of minorities of women of uh, displaced people of conflict conflict regions and uh, there there is a huge need for that and I, i'm i'm so happy to be part of ideoni that's filling that gap you know i think um i agree one i i really love this podcast i think ideoni is doing a great job because these are very nuanced topics about media and journalism uh that really get enough attention and get talked about words i think like as journalists and as reporters we need to understand that our words have power and they have a huge huge impact so it's not just um and there is a greater responsibility that lies on us because we drive opinion and we drive um many you know either we can serve as counter to massive inf- disinformation and misinformation that's going on in the digital space now i think our world has significantly changed now uh, before access to information was limited so you know tools of dissecting information were more um were or like even censorship by by that logic they were they were more effective but like now it's very different um all the words that we have talked about starting from our textbooks starting from those like subtle messages about hindus or about nationalism religious minorities um the kind of language we use in cricket matches the kind of language we use in covering gender based violence the kind of language we use especially when it comes to india pakistan relationships and uh, calling like you know even very normal activities like a cricket match or any other as acts of con- as if like they are conflicts and using terms that you would use to describe an armed conflict to describe a cricket match i think they are problematic and they need to be talked about um the the effect and the importance that all of these have is very um is actually very real when i told you about you know a country announcing public holidays because there's an increased threat perception um all of that is done by media when you have stocks going down it's all because there is a news that has circulated when we have massive victim blaming in at least in pakistan and i, I and i know like i've seen in indian media as well it is because of the kind of words and undertones taken by our officials by the government by the people in police and elsewhere that do put the blame on the women so all of these and when we don't have words to describe sexuality or transgenders or uh, other things that does mean that they don't get represented there's like literally sometimes even out of um you could say like even newsrooms that would want to include them but they're genuinely clueless that how would we navigate an absence of language how would we navigate or what if we did say something wrong something that's not politically correct and i come across this like running a platform myself i came across this on a daily basis now editors they're generally clueless they check three times they send it to me they send it to other people that oh there's a gbv story can you just like look at it what if we've and they have like every time they do mess up the things so it's very important that we have these conversations and it's very important that we have um more work done on this for guidelines for newsrooms for i really liked you know indian supreme court's guidebook on gender neutral terms and i wish that you know pakistani supreme court could pick it up or someone could just like circulate it because i really really loved it i thought they've gone a step beyond in you know using some terms and uh, adding some and making others gender neutral 
I, I wish that could be replicated and we could have like a media guidebook or, you know, uh, terms that should be used and more education, more conversation on this because it's about time. We're, we can't have more years of, in, you know, non-inclusive, isolated, gender binary, problematic media. We're, we're done with that. I do really hope that uh, that time comes soon where, where we are actually in its realist sense done with that. And I think like a huge takeaway from this episode is this line that you said that our words do have power. All of us, all of us journalists, our words do have a lot of power, more than we actually know, I think. And it becomes, then it, it's our responsibility to use that power uh, to do good to say the truth and to be correct and not misinform people especially in today's time and age where misinforming is like rampant and thus words our language needs to be uh, inclusive needs to be correct and i think at that note it's like it's been such a fabulous uh, uh time to talk to both of you and i feel like we can go on and on but then the recording time will get over and this thing will uh, crash and we won't. I wish we could just talk, keep talking about it. And I hope through IDONI, through this podcast and through the work that IDONI does, we can uh, talk about this uh, more and, you know, uh, start the conversation if uh, and be part of a little bit. I feel even if five listeners are listening to us right now, they do engage with it and understand why language, why uh, words become so important. Uh, thank you so much, Hamza and Fatima, for uh, joining this podcast today. Thank you so much, Shreya. Thank you for putting this together. Thank you. We'll be back again with our next episode. Until then, stay tuned, stay safe. Bye-bye.